If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is a special hour number three of the World According to Zig podcast for this October 6, 2018. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the real truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. We're doing an hour number three today because we've got not one but two spectacular guests, especially based upon the news of the day. In hour number two, we are joined by Glenn Beck, the legendary talk show host, and he and I spoke for well over an hour in an interview that you simply can not miss. Uh, John Ziegler, I, I think he's fantastic. Would have, would have interesting mind he has well the interview itself is incredibly interesting and like i said you gotta listen to it but this interview in hour number three is just as good not as long but it's just as good it's with famed attorney tom mazaro you probably know that name because he defended successfully michael jackson and defended bill cosby less successfully uh, because Bill Cosby was recently convicted. And Tom uh, does not mince words. He is a very honest guy, a very smart guy. He is largely politically liberal, although he has some conservative leanings. Uh, He and I have gotten to know each other a little bit over the last couple of years because uh, of, once again, my involvement in the Penn State Joe Paterno Jerry Sandusky case where I convinced him to write an op-ed where he came out in a Pennsylvania newspaper and, and said, look, this Sandusky case deserves to be looked at again because there's some real questions about it. And he's absolutely right about that. And I have a feeling that his Bill Cosby experience might have further led him to that belief because he believes that he got some real raw justice in Pennsylvania. And in that part of it does not surprise me. Now, to be clear, because I... I somehow turned into this guy who defends all these people against uh, sex abuse allegations, which, trust me, I hate. Okay, I hate that this has happened, but somebody's got to do it. Uh, And unfortunately, it's fallen to me uh, far too often. I am not doing that with Bill Cosby. I believe that Bill Cosby had sex with almost all, if not all, of those who accused him of doing so, that he used drugs to facilitate it. Uh, I believe that happened, and, and I'm not even sure Tom is 
is really quite, he might be questioning that, but I don't think that he's contradicting that. I think there is a potential open question as to what Cosby thought what was going on at the time. And that might sound crazy to people, but you have to remember he was a huge celebrity back in this era. And let's face it, people do strange things for celebrities. But I, that's not the, that's not where I'm going with this. I'm not concerned that much about uh, what Bill Cosby did. I am fine believing that uh, he committed bad acts for which he should be punished uh, in the real world. But did it meet the standard uh, in the legal process of being a fair trial that does not cause major philosophical and precedent problems? And also, is his trial an indication that things have so dramatically changed in the era of Me Too that other people who might actually be innocent are going to be endangered because of it? We're going to get into all of this. Uh, with Tom Mesereau. So without further ado, Tom Mesereau, welcome back to the show. Thank you, John. Honored to be back. It's been a while, and boy, the world has changed quite a bit uh, since the last time we spoke on the record. I, I did see you at an event uh, a few months ago uh, here in Los Angeles, but uh, th- there's no question that the, the world has changed with regard to sex abuse allegations, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on uh, today with all the news involving uh, Brett Kavanaugh. But before we get into that and how the world has changed, I do want to ask you about your most recent high-profile client. Obviously, that's Bill Cosby. Uh, He was convicted and most recently uh, sentenced to at least three years in prison. And I have a few questions about about that trial. Um, you know, um, I'm, my first question, Tom, and I've gotten to know you a little bit, and I, I really respect you as a, as a legal mind and also as a very honest person. Uh, I know you've said that the verdict against Cosby was illegitimate, but do you believe that Cosby, based upon the evidence you're, you're aware of, is actually innocent or just legally not guilty? I believe he's innocent. Uh, I've had many talks with him talked about his life, talked about what was going on in society 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And I believe that his trial was the most unfair trial I've ever participated in. And I say that in total candor. I say it with firm belief. This was, without a doubt, the most unfair trial I've ever participated in. And it began before the trial even started. In 2004, you had a district attorney in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, who made an agreement not to prosecute Bill Cosby. He looked at the evidence, he listened to the accuser, and he made a determination that he wasn't bringing this case. Uh, He testified under oath that he had a firm agreement not not to prosecute Mr. Cosby. And he went further than that. He told Mr. Cosby and his lawyers that he had no Fifth Amendment privilege not to testify in a parallel civil proceeding that had been brought against him by the accuser. Um, That DA, when he ran for office for DA, was in a very bitter battle with another individual, a lawyer. Right. Uh, It was a bitter, ugly political fight. Um, that opponent then became judge. And when the 
former DA who had the agreement not to prosecute Bill Cosby then ran for election again and lost. Right. And Kevin Steele, who defeated him for district attorney, was very friendly with his old opponent, now the judge. And a lot of people don't realize this, but the defense made a motion to throw this case out because the prior DA had already entered into a binding agreement not to prosecute. Uh, ironically, that hearing took place before the prior DA's old opponent, who is now the judge. The prior DA comes in, testifies under oath that he agreed not to prosecute Mr. Cosby, and his old bitter opponent, now the judge, rules that he doesn't have credibility, if you can believe that. <laughs> well, well, so so that's, that's where we start right well that's the politics and there's no question that that's shady as as hell and uh, and as you know i have an experience with the pennsylvania legal system involving the penn state case which uh makes me very cynical about pennsylvania justice which maybe we'll talk about uh, briefly but uh let's talk about what actually happened in the allegations i mean do you believe that he never drugged any of these women specifically andrea constand and had sex with them against their will is that what you're saying well, what I'm saying is I'm not here to disparage any of his accusers. That's not what I like to do. I mean, I'm an aggressive trial lawyer within the confines of the courthouse. I follow the rules, and I defend, which I'm ethically obligated to do. You don't represent anyone unless you're ethically willing to go to, to defend them. And we have a court of law. We have rules that need to be followed to try and bring the largest amount of justice and fairness out possible right you have to remember that a trial is an artificial recreation of reality reality happened in another time and place but because we need a justice system we have to find a way to try and reconstruct reality in the fairest way possible to see what happened well well let me of course you know i i know you what you want me to opine of the case which i really don't want to talk a lot about I'm so upset that this man never got a fair hearing. Right. Everybody deserves a fair hearing. When you plead not guilty, you are presumed not guilty. I, I get it. I, I get. It. I'm just. I just. I'm trying to figure out: Are we talking about the the, the nature of the the verdict or the nature of the facts? And, and before we get to the nature of the verdict, because I want to ask you about the statute of limitations and and the date of this episode, which bothers me a lot. But but I have a, a theory. It's purely a theory that I want to run by you that about what may have actually transpired here. You mentioned the, the way the world was 30 or 40 years ago. Part of what I think is possibly being missed here is that Bill Cosby was a massive, massive star at that point. And that human beings, men or women, will do things they wouldn't ordinarily do uh, for huge celebrities. Is it possible that Bill Cosby at least thought he had consent to engage in these acts with these women? Well, of course. I mean... You know, what we were forced to do, which nobody can do, is try and go back 30 years and determine who the accusers were at that time, what kind of a life they were leading at that time, what statements they made for and or against what they were testifying to at that time, and you can't do it. What this judge did was in the first trial, which I wasn't part of, he let in one woman to testify that a similar thing had happened to her. 
and the jury discounted it. So to get a conviction in the next trial, uh, after he determined that the, his former political opponent, the former DA who agreed not to prosecute, was lacking in credibility, uh, and after he refused to have a hearing on the statute of limitations or to consider the evidence or to rule on it, which is a jurisdictional issue, if you don't file a case in time, you can't bring it. And we had a rock-solid, ironclad statute of limitations defense based on phone records. We showed that calls, to, alleged calls to his house couldn't have happened and never did happen. We showed that he wasn't in town at the time. We had his travel records, his itineraries, his phone records. The judge wouldn't even have a hearing on it because he wanted it to go to trial. Um, so you, you walk into the courtroom uh, with, with these issues in your lap, and you say to yourself, what is going on here? How can this possibly happen? So then, let... go ahead. then, wait a second. Go ahead. Um, he decides that he won't let just one other accuser in, in a case that was never properly investigated, never filed, never charged. He's going to let in five. So women are coming in, testifying to what happened 30 years ago. Uh, you can't fully investigate what happened 30 years ago. You can't. And, you know, we know human beings. Human beings remember certain things and then tend to fill in the gaps of their lack of memory with what they want to believe. I mean, it, look, read the books on eyewitness identification. Read the books on faulty memory. This is a human reality. We don't remember everything that happens to us. And as time goes on, we tend to fill in the gaps in our memory with things that really support what we want to believe. I'm not calling that dishonesty. I'm calling it reality, psychological reality. So when you start bringing in a bunch of people from 30 years ago to tell you exactly what happened and you don't have any opportunity to fully investigate this person's motives and actions, um, you're not dealing with a fair trial. The trial should have been about the accuser. It shouldn't have been about flimsy allegations from 30 years ago that were never reported, never filed, et cetera. Well, you've hit, uh, you've hit on time that the two issues from a legal standpoint that I agree are troubling from a from the perspective of due process. Again, I, I am convinced that these sex acts occurred and that, that there was drugs involved. I I'm, I'm, would have been open to a defense of, of at least him thinking that he had some sort of consent back in that very different time period. But I want to get a little bit deeper into these two issues that you brought up that are really important from a due, due process perspective. These prior bad acts that were never investigated and, and never even brought into court that is inc- no. that is incredibly troubling to me. I mean, if, if these were prior convictions, then sure. But well, well, has how has this happened? Has the law changed, or are judges now just ruling differently far in the Me Too era in allowing the this kind of testimony that whether it's accurate or inaccurate, true or not true, from a legal perspective, should be very troubling to everybody. Well, I think the case will be, I think the convictions will be reversed on appeal for a lot of reasons, including the utter misuse of this information. But there's so many other things, John. I mean, the, the judge who, between trials, decided to up the number of other accusers from one to five, uh, was, is married to a highly respected counselor of sex abuse victims who we proved had helped raise some money 
mm. to fund a group that was protesting against the defense in front of the courthouse. Wow. Okay. So you take take into account <laughs> yeah. his relationship with the prior district attorney, right. who had agreed not to prosecute. Right. Take into account, you know, these issues. He should have recused himself, and he refused to. Okay. And let me tell you something else. There's so many problems with the case that people, you know, don't remember all the problems. I mean, we, we're in jury selection. One juror who had been removed contacted the defense and said another juror still on the panel had said he's guilty and this won't last very long. This is before the trial began. Right. So we made a motion to have the juror who reportedly made that statement, which he denied making, um, uh, removed. The judge refused to. Well, um, all that is troubling, but again, I, I, I want to get back to a little bit more to what actually did and did not transpire here. I get that the, the legal process here seems to have been rather flawed, but, but with regard to the statute of limitations, let, let, let's be clear about this. It's my understanding, and I've gleaned this even from very, uh, what I perceive to be biased media reports that have bought in totally into this whole entire narrative, not just in the Cosby case, but in every case where there's a, uh, an abuse allegation against a man. My understanding is, Tom, that they have no idea what date this victim was actually uh, r- r- raped or abused, whatever you want to call it. Is that accurate? That we, they, we, we don't know what date this occurred? That's absolutely true. Uh, there was evidence that reports had been made about different dates uh, separated by months. And there was a statement to the police that she had called Mr. Cosby at his house to be allowed to drive into the gate of his house. And we proved no such calls were made, you know, not only on that particular day, but weeks before and after. As I said, we meticulously put together her phone records, his phone records. We meticulously put put together his travel records, uh, flights he took, hotel rooms where he was, his itinerary, which showed where he was performing and where he was visiting and what airports he was at at particular times, et cetera. We proved this could never have happened when the prosecution said it happened and could never have happened within the time it had to have happened in order to bring the case forward. Whatever happened to the idea, whatever ever happened to the idea, and again, there's a statute of limitations issue there because of, of, of the, of the time period in which this is alleged to have occurred. That's right on the cusp of being too late uh, to, to be brought properly in a, in a legal forum, but whatever happened to the concept of an accused person knowing exactly when they're being accused of something so that they could at least theoretically have an alibi uh, situation, whatever happened to that concept? Well, it was a, it was an absolute travesty because the judge, you know, it's it's what we call a jurisdictional issue. You can't get to trial unless you have jurisdiction. If the case wasn't filed in the appropriate time period, you don't have jurisdiction to even have a trial. Right. The judge was handed all this evidence and refused to have a hearing on it. Said he refused to rule on it. Said he would let the jury decide. Mm. And then here's what happened: so the jury could decide. The judge, by law could have given them a particular document that said, we, the jury, find beyond a reasonable doubt that the case was filed in time. He refused to do that. It's called a special interrogatory. He read them an instruction that the prosecution must file their case within the appropriate time period beyond a reasonable doubt as part of another instruction 
and then didn't send it into the jury room for them to have and mull over. Mm. I mean, the effort to weaken and disparage the statute of limitations argument was so blatant. But by the way, uh, before I forget, you know, with the other five accusers, one screamed, he's a serial rapist, the judge wouldn't give us a mistrial. Clearly that was designed to prejudice the jury. Another screamed, you know what you did to me, Mr. Cosby. That was clearly designed to prejudice the jury. He wouldn't give us a mistrial on that. Mm. I mean, he wouldn't let me cross-examine on issues that were absolutely germane to various witnesses. Uh, I, I mean, I could go on and on. I've never seen so many appellate issues in a case. It, it, it almost appeared from day one that the, the feeling by the court was, I want this high-profile case. You know, I want a conviction and I'm going to skew things however I have to to get it. That's the way it looked to me. Well, well Tom, I, I'm convinced, again, just to be clear, that, that Cosby engaged in these acts, and you know, I, I'm open again to theories about why and how that happened, but I'm also troubled by the due process aspects that you're bringing up. I, I, the narrative coming out of Cosby's conviction was that, that you, Tom Mesro, that you're – your tactics, I'm paraphrasing here, that your tactics uh, and your ways of trying a case are antiquated now in, in the Me Too era, that the Me Too environment has totally changed the rules. It's changed the way juries look at it, judges look at it, the media looks at it, and that your your uh, MO is no longer effective. Uh, what what did you make of that narrative coming out of the car? Co- is there any truth at all to that, whether it's your fault or not your fault? Is there any truth that, that the rules have changed and that it is far different now in trying to defend yourself against these kinds of accusations. Well, the rules have changed, and it is more difficult to defend yourself. But then the question is, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to play patty cake with these witnesses who are accusing your client of very, very serious crimes? You know, allegations that can destroy your client's reputation and freedom uh, at the same time. And, and what, what, what you have to understand is, I didn't try the case alone. I had four very, very strong female attorneys with me. My co-counsel, Kathleen Bliss, has spent most of her career uh, working for the federal government, uh, a very strong supporter of women's rights. She really was against what this judge was doing and the unfairness. She didn't believe a lot of these allegations at all, and she really attacked the Me Too movement hard. I had Becky James, who used to head the appellate section of the U.S. Attorney's Office, in Los Angeles, very strong supporter of women's rights. She also was a very ardent supporter of Bill Cosby. I had Rachel Robinson, a graduate of University of Berkeley Law School, a brilliant appellate lawyer. I had Jay Agupta uh, from Northwestern Law School. These are strong supporters of women's rights who did not like for one second what was happening to their client, Mr. Cosby, and didn't go, didn't believe these allegations. So, so you I mean, believe? These, so, Tom. These so, Tom. Women were de- these women were devastated by the convictions, and so de- let's not just say this is Tom Mesero uh, using antiquated methods, because that's not what happened. The reality is, a lot of good has come out of the Me Too movement. Focus on sexual harassment, sexual abuse, sexual assault—that uh, has to be done. It was long overdue, but we've gone overboard when it comes to our justice system. You know, men are being fired for accusations before they have a chance to even defend themselves at all. I mean, you know, I I think like so many strong, powerful movements, you've got to be very careful they don't infect the justice system in an unfair way. 
And I want to repeat, I'm a supporter of the Me Too movement, and I'm a supporter of focusing on sexual assault, sexual harassment, abuse, discrimination. Uh, I've, you know, long been a supporter of women's rights, but you can't take it to the extent that somebody makes an accusation and nobody can even respond to it. Because um, some accusations are correct and some are incorrect. I hear you on that. I think it's that's well said. Now, now, Tom, I, I got to ask you this because you and I first became acquainted when I, I tried to educate you with regard to what was going on in the real world of the, the Penn State Jerry Sandusky Joe Paterno case, and you actually even uh, wrote a, a very a good column saying that you think that the whole thing should be looked at again because the, the first look at it was uh, was very biased and very rushed. Now that you've had a firsthand experience with Pennsylvania justice. Can you understand even more where I'm coming from on that one? Well, of course I can. I'm just appalled at what I saw in this courtroom. I'm I'm appalled at one ruling after another, which was, in my opinion, constitutionally infirm, unfair. Uh, I'm appalled at the lack of due process that surrounded this case. It was clear that, in my opinion, the judge wanted a conviction. That's why he changed his ruling from one other accuser to five other accusers. That's why he refused to rule on a statute of limitations defense. Right. That's why he called his old political opponent lacking in credibility when his old political opponent who beat him in the DA's office, beat him for the race, said that he had an agreement not to prosecute Mr. Cosby. I mean, you know, his refusing to step down uh, because of what we felt were conflicts because of his wife's very stellar role and reputation in counseling sex abuse victims. We weren't there to trash people. We weren't there to mock the Me Too movement. We were there to get a fair trial for Bill Cosby, and he didn't have one. Tom, my theory, uh, there's a lot of things that went into all this. Um, you know, every case is different, and, and Cosby's celebrity and Joe Paterno's celebrity played huge roles in how both of those cases ended up going down. But I, I have a theory that part of what's going on in Pennsylvania is an overreaction to the Catholic Church scandal. That, that now that because of that narrative has been set, everyone in the state wants to overreact and punish other people that had nothing to do with that. Did you see any any evidence of that? Any, any indication that that might be true? Well, the the you know issues with the Catholic Church uh, did not directly or overtly. No, I'm talking uh, about subconsciously. This is su- this is subconscious. This is it's a subconscious. I mean, it's- it's quite possible. I mean, what you're saying is, is quite possible. Uh, I just want to make something clear. Mr. Cosby has always maintained he's innocent, that he never did anything without consent. Um, you know, and, and evidence that came into the trial indicated that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, men and women were going to these parties and pills were being handed out by both. And People were, you know, just by almost by being there, were consenting to the kind of activities they were engaged in. I got it. I got it. Again and again. I I mean, now to try and recreate all this. I understand. 30, 40 years later Tom, is absurd. I, I get yeah. it. Now, last question for you, Tom. I know you're you're a liberal, although you're you're a politically incorrect thinking liberal, and that's a compliment coming from a conservative. Uh, so I'm fascinated to hear your, your take on the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh, who I'm assuming your nomination you are not politically in favor of. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Is, is that is that accurate? Well, I, you're right that I have been liberal most of my life. I have occasionally taken a conservative position. I think mm-hmm. of myself as very independent-minded. You are, and I don't like to discuss. I don't like to discuss my politics. That's but fair. I will tell you that I was appalled 
when the Republicans wouldn't give Judge Garland a hearing, and I was appalled at what happened in the hearings on Judge Kavanaugh. Why were you appalled? Why, why were you appalled? I don't know why the, why the Democrats would sit on an accusation like this and not immediately investigate it when they know the clock is ticking, when they know the hearings are going to have an end. Um, so they bring in what appears to have been uncorroborated accusations. Um, uh, from what I saw of some of the uh, of this one witness, Dr. Ford, she sounded very credible. But unfortunately, as I understand it, uh, she indicated some witnesses were present, none of whom have substantiated what she said. Now, that should have been fleshed out before the hearings. They shouldn't have waited till the last minute and taken her in before an investigation was done. And then my understanding is, you know, equally unsupported allegations were made from other people, uh, some of which seemed utterly ridiculous. So from my point of view, the Republicans mishandled Judge Garland, denied him fairness, denied the American people fairness. And I think the Democrats in this hearing did a lot of things that were sleazy and unfair as well. And at this point, as we talk here this morning, I'm just so cynical about politics at the moment. I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people are. But just last question on that, Tom. As a defense attorney, if if a client of yours was ever accused, like Kavanaugh was, and this obviously wasn't a court of law, but it was close to it, uh, was ever accused in a situation like the Ford allegation, thirty six years old, no corroboration uh, whatsoever. Uh, is there any chance at all that Ford's allegation on its own would ever get into a court of law in two thousand eighteen? Well, I, I mean, I certainly would hope not, but our society seems so driven by unsubstantiated allegations all over the place that I don't know if some politically driven individual, you know, who thought she was credible might say to themselves, well, you know, yes, the standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt is the highest in the world, but if they just believe her and I can bring in some other unsubstantiated similar allegations, maybe I could get a conviction. And I can see someone trying that. You know, that's what happened, in my opinion, in Cosby. Interesting. You know, you had thin evidence supporting thin evidence, but a political environment that was very anti-fairness, anti-due process, and very pro-conviction. So I get it. Well, Tom. The, the answer to your question is that shouldn't happen, but, but if you ask me, could it? In the wild environment we're in, it possibly could. Tom, well stated, scary as heck, uh, but we uh, we really always appreciate your time and, and your truthfulness, and uh, and thanks so much for joining us, and, and keep, please keep in touch. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and you know, we really, uh, in, a, in an emotional period like this, have to keep in mind that due process, civil rights, fairness, were hard-fought hard values, and we can't just throw them away in a moment of, uh, of emotion. We just can't do it. Well said. Thanks, Tom. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, John. So that'll do it for hour number three of the World According to Zig podcast. Uh, thanks again to Tom Mesereau for his time. And I, I hope that uh, you, you found that as compelling as I did. Because things are very rarely, especially in this subject of sex abuse, very rarely anything close to what the media tells you. There's almost always a different story and oftentimes it's a very 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 different story and tom is an honest guy he, he is not uh you know your uh johnny cochran type attorney who will just tell you whatever it is 
that you know Johnny won't tell you anything because he's dead. But uh, but and by the way, Tom and Johnny might have been friends. I don't know because they're both L.A. attorneys. But the the reality is, Tom is an honest guy. He's he's telling it to you just as he sees it and trying to play it straight. And uh, if he was certain that Bill Cosby was guilty, he would tell you. So uh, food for thought, and I think most importantly, uh, further validation that the uh, allegations against uh, Brett Kavanaugh were utter crap, but in this day and age, they might actually be taken seriously, even though they're likely not based in truth. So again, once, uh, again, once again, thanks to Tom Mesro for his time, and I hope you enjoyed that. As always, I ask only two things of you in return. We provide this amazing content uh, for free. All I ask is that you share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. And uh, also, number two, do yourself a favor, and if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.